Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learned with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. When a wealth event happens in your life, you want to be prepared to make the most of the newfound resources, which can go to support you, your family, and also the causes you care about. How do you prepare in advance for the sale of a business, or a significant gain from a home sale, or maybe receiving a family inheritance? Thinking further ahead, how do you set up your estate to achieve your goals, but also support not just your kids, but your charitable children as well? These are the questions we explored in a recent event we did for Donors Trust clients and friends. It's such a great topic that we wanted to share it with you on the podcast feed as well. Frankly, you never know when it's going to be relevant. So take a listen now and then come back when the timing is right so you can remember all the great advice you're going to hear as you aim to minimize your taxes and maximize the impact of your philanthropy. So as you listen, you're going to hear how to plan in advance for a wealth event, how to get your psychology ready and the same way you get the tax mechanics lined up, how to reassess and maintain your estate plan, and so much more. You know, originally I wasn't going to include the Q&A, but we got into such great topics as CRTs and charitable lead trusts and when to set up a charitable foundation, the idea of a portfolio approach to giving, how donor-advised funds can help as a legacy tool, and whether you actually can get your tax liability all the way down to zero. So listen all the way through to that as well. All right, the first voice you're going to hear is Donors Trust President and CEO Lawson Bader, and then I will intro our speakers. Well, let's go. Well, good afternoon or good morning or good evening, wherever you happen to be at this time. Uh, I'm Lawson Bader. I'm the CEO uh, and President of Donors Trust and Donors Capital Fund, and so I want to welcome you to the next 45 minutes together. Um, you know, significant changes in one's wealth uh, present an opportunity for you, perhaps for your family, and certainly for the charitable organizations that or causes that you care deeply about. The, the danger, of course, is it's easy to let the moment slip away uh, because of the distractions of the world or uh, let inertia sort of run its course. Um, and the problem with that is, you know, we miss out on the potential tax advantages and some of the long-term planning that can occur. Um, and it's hard to maximize that opportunity, which may in fact be the single opportunity in, in, in sort of your career. Um, so what we want to do today is help you look into the future, uh, map out some of the questions, some of the strategies that you can develop before you perhaps sell the business or receive that surprise inheritance or find yourself ready to take that perhaps large capital gains from a stock sale, maybe not immediately given the last couple of years or perhaps a home sale. And so for some on this call, that is going to apply directly to your situation uh, or the potential of a situation you're aware of. For others, perhaps you work with donors um, because you work with a charity who themselves are finding uh, this opportunity presenting itself. Uh, no matter what, we're intending this to be broad and to apply to both situations fairly 
equally. Um, now, before we jump in, I turn this over to Peter. Many of you on this call know Donors Trust, many don't. So let me take a step back. Um, our primary program is sponsoring a donor advised fund, which is a very common, very helpful tool designed to simplify, protect, uh, and grow one's giving in a tax advantaged way. How we do that at Donors Trust is perhaps a little different from other donor advised fund providers. Our primary purpose is to work with individuals who sort of self-identify with a worldview focused on limited public institutions or free enterprise or personal responsibility and ensure that their charitable intent is maintained during their lifetime at the time of their death um, and afterwards. Um, in the course of our 23 plus years uh, that we've been doing this, we have worked with our donor advisors to give more than $1.6 billion to thousands and thousands of charities and causes here in the United States and even, and even abroad. Um, so that's what we do. Uh, and we're doing this particular conversation right now because Frankly, the intersection of donor intent, which is so important to us, and strategic giving, also important to us, um, is an opportunity for us to merge those two to talk about the long-term uh, tax advantages and other things to bring those causes together. Um, so thank you for the time. And with that, I'll turn this over to Peter uh, and we'll be back later for questions. Thanks. Thank you, Lawson. And thank you everyone for joining. There was great interest in this. Uh, and I know everyone here has their own reasons for being interested in this. So it's it's exciting. Uh, let's get into this. I, I had heard of a chartered financial consultant before. I'd heard of a chartered, chartered advisor in philanthropy, but until recently, I didn't know there was even such a thing as a retired income certified professional, nor an accreditation for being a certified exit planning advisor. Uh, and our guest today, Chris Cousins, he has all of those designations. And that is why we thought he would be an excellent perfect person to bring on as a guest to talk about how to make the most of a wealth event. Uh, you know, in addition to his investment advising through the company he co-founded, Financial Architects, Chris is an entrepreneur in his own right, having founded several different companies and uh, is helping business owners build wealth, build value in a lot of ways. So Chris, let's get right into this. How do you define a wealth event? Let's just start with terms. Are we just talking about a company sale or, or what all will we be talking about in the scope of this conversation? Yeah, Peter, uh, <clears throat> lots of, you know, lots of things in, in inheritance, uh, sale of assets. Um, boy, it, it, the business event is a big one, you know, and um uh, also, there's um, you know just the family events, so lottery, <laughs> I guess, or you know someone um, someone in a had a huge event in their career, a huge income year, so those types of things. I'm still waiting on that lottery one to hit. It hasn't had quite come come through yet. Okay, so if someone knows that a wealth event is coming up. Let's start with the basics. What are the first things that he or she should start to think about? Well, uh, in terms of their, I, I guess, in terms of their charitable intent, or uh, I, you know, it's a, it's you know, a, maybe maybe it's just getting in the right mental frame of mind, yeah. which I know is something that you have thought a lot about. So maybe we start right. there and then get into some of the mechanics. Yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's a it's a major life event, and when we have these life events, our perspective changes, and a lot of times, you know, we. Um, being being that it's happening to us, we have a lot of blind spots. And uh, so when we surround ourselves with, uh, you know, with team members that can help us see what's actually going on, 
we can gain a, a perspective far different than what it was looking like to us, you know. So, so it's really it's really about um, having some realization about what's happening and coming to grips with it. You know, I think you shared a statistic with me at one point. I think that was seventy percent of uh, business leaders don't have an exit strategy. Is that right? What is yeah. Yeah. So, so what does that mean for how, how far out should we be thinking of an exit strategy, at least as it turns to a business? Well, so yeah, for, for owners, it's uh, the preparedness level in the country is, is not high. And uh, it's a, you know, there's a lot of emotion tied up in this, especially if the, uh, the person founded the company, it's, it's their baby. And, um, and so there's a lot going on there as they, as they plan their own transition and the charitable piece of it comes in as they, you know, as they get clear on really what, what, what do they want to do? How do they see themselves leaving the business, but also what do they do afterwards? That's a huge question that uh, is actually, it's actually scary. It's a scary question to, to deal with. So we talked a little about the mental side and, and getting clarity. I'm sure we'll come, that'll come back up. What about the mechanics? So uh, maybe we start with selling a business you know, how do they start preparing for the tax consequences of that? Way in advance, <laughs> getting getting way ahead of it, right? Um, one of our uh, good friends and business partners is a valuation specialist, and uh, she's always encouraging, uh, you know, owners to get way ahead on these things so that they, they leave themselves plenty of time personally to, when it comes to charitable you know, charitable intent, getting clear on what they really want to accomplish, what mean, you know, what's meaningful to them, uh, how does this all fit together, and just give give yourself more time than than you think you might need. Yeah, we had we had somebody come to us not too long ago last year and wanted to to open a, a fund with proceeds of a sale uh, by contributing some privately held stock in, but the sale was days away from going through. And yeah. ultimately we had to say, you know, I think we're a little too late for that. There's other things you can do. Maybe we can talk about that, but you know, how early is early for, for particularly if you want portion of that to be a charitable gift offsetting some of the, the benefits. Yeah. Months, months. And, it, and, it, and if we're getting into, if we're talking just the, the actual tax strategy itself, you need to have a number of months there, but I would submit that, you know, in, in what a lot of other advisors like me have seen is uh, helping the owner get really, really clear as to, uh, you know, what this all means to them uh, when they're engaging in the charitable uh, donation this large, you know, potentially that large. What does it mean to them? Giving is so personal. And um, we want to make sure that we're giving owners uh, not in their families enough time to think through this and think about what it means to them personally. And uh, that's, that's really important to do that. And is there a best way, you know, we're going to stick, we're going to turn to some of these other wealth events too. We're just sticking with the sale of the business right now. You know, in the case I gave, guy was interested in donating private stock into a donor advised fund. Uh, you can give directly to a charity, but what are some of the other ways that the charitable asset can serve as a tax, uh, a way to reduce the taxes? Because I imagine the taxes are pretty high if you sell a business for you know, $100 billion, $10 million, right. $1 million. Uh, right. How do you think about the different avenues of using the charitable tools? In terms of the sale of a business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, 
Right. So you can you can um, put the the shares uh, some of the shares of the company into the into the uh, trust um, and and have it be part of that sale. Um, obviously, owners could could just uh, donate you know other appreciated securities or cash that same year. So it's it's really it's as you said in the beginning, it's all about right around this this major event and making sure that you're planning for it in advance uh, of that tax year and all the other stuff that's going on. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of these other uh, things that might happen. Maybe somebody sells a book and, and there's there's royalties coming in, so all of a sudden the income is much larger. I right. finally win the lottery and have that big infusion. Uh, some great aunt Ethel passes away and leaves me a nice estate. All of these different things can happen and some variation of it are likely to happen in many people's lifetime, uh, maybe not to different magnitudes. But I imagine the the it, you don't have to start planning as early for some of those, but, but maybe you right. do. How do you think about some of those cash infusions that some people might see uh, uh, to, to mitigate some of the tax hit and you know how charitable, charitable giving might be involved in that? Yeah, so so it's it's important to sit down and talk about what is their strategy as a family, you know, or as, as wealth owners. What's their what's their strategy? What do they what do they see themselves doing over the next ten years, twenty, you know, whatever time frame in terms of giving? Um, how much they would normally give? And the nice thing about a donor advised fund is you can accelerate it into that year where it's a big tax year. Right, um, and and get that money into the fund, and then and then um, and then your strategy continues on. You give while you're living from the from the fund over time. But um, we we just we just find that um, we, we don't want to go uh, too far into the tactics until in, until this this owner wealth owner family has really sat down and thought about um, what does all this mean to them. Uh, this is the personal side of it is is very important, especially in the owners, uh, business owners. It's it's an area that uh, you know a lot of advisors are paying more and more attention to. Um, th there was a book years ago, Scott Fithian. Unfortunately, he passed away at a very young age, but he wrote a book called The Right Side of the Table, and uh, he used he talked about this concept of above the line and below the line. And the, the above the line conversations are, you know, who are you? What matters to you? What matters to your family? What do you want to teach your children and your grandchildren? Uh, you know, how do you want them involved in this, in this long-term charitable strategy? All of that. And, and then below the line are all the tactics that make all this stuff happen in the most, uh, you know, efficient, tax efficient, intelligent way. And, and, and what he would say, you know, in this book is, is you've got to spend enough time above the line before you go below the line. In, in our industries, you know, legal tax, it's, it's filled with so many smart people. And, um, and so there's not a shortage there. <laughs> but there are many times there's a shortage of staying above the line long enough so that whatever strategies play out over time are truly who these people are. And, and spending time listening to them and, and asking them questions, you know, about all this. It's a great point. You know, I know we have a, a diverse set of folks on this call. We've got some donors, some of our donors trust clients, uh, some friends we've made along the way. We have some financial advisors and we have some, some folks from nonprofits to the financial advisors there. And I guess to the donors too, in mm -hmm. those above the line conversations, how do they get started? Whose responsibility 
is it to really kick off those discussions? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what we found with owners is uh, it's tough for them to do that on their own. Um, as human beings, we have blind spots, and and, um, and we don't we don't see what we don't, right. We can't see what we can't see, and so having someone facilitate and ask us questions about you know, hey, what what are the things you um, you know, what are what are some concerns you have? What are some opportunities you want to pursue? Uh, really understanding uh, there's, you know, we use the term, the, the, these four freedoms that I, I heard years ago is the freedom of time and money and purpose and relationship and digging deep into all those so that, so that whatever strategy plays out in terms of uh, tax and estate planning, it is, it's, it's just always meaningful. And then you can enhance it over time because it's not a static thing, right? It has to be <laughs> continuously enhanced over time. Right, right. Um, I think we'll probably dig into more of these. And by the way, we're going to want to leave plenty of time at the end for questions from those of you who are listening in. Uh, there is a Q&A box at the bottom of the window. Click on that, type your question in. We would love to get through as many of your questions. A couple of you have emailed me some questions. Uh, and otherwise I'll just keep asking all the questions I want to know. Um, but your questions are going to be a lot more valuable. So I look forward to, to having those. So put those in and in a bit, we'll get to those. I want to talk for a minute about legacy planning. Um, there are a lot of folks on this call who have significant assets, will have significant assets, work with people with significant assets. Uh, and they're going to want to leave some of those behind to, to relatives um, but they also, as we talk about here, want to take care of their charitable children. Now, I think a lot of people on the call have some plans in place. So it's probably a whole separate webinar for those of you who don't have plans in place and want to think that through. Let's talk about the maintenance of that. We hear from people all the time. They're, they're looking back at their estate plannings. They're reassessing. What, how do you work with clients on reassessing that estate plan to make sure it's still where it should be as new tools come up, as, as different tax situations change? Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we think about the maintenance of these plans? Yeah, so uh, so getting back to, again, where where is this family going? What, what's their current thinking? Um, you know, I've heard it said that, uh, that our, our next level of thinking, the only thing in the way of that is our current level of thinking. <laughs> so sometimes we need to reflect on, on, on uh, you know, the things that we currently see and believe about our strategy and challenge ourselves. You know, um, what, how could they think bigger? How could the family think bigger? What are, some, what are some aspirations they have that maybe they hadn't considered before? And just continuing to refresh that. And, and if the family's involved, it's even, even better because our, you know, our next generation uh, next generations uh, can can be uh, empowered to do great things in this world with the wealth that is transitioning, uh, assuming they're equipped, right? Assuming that these conversations are happening in a productive way and, and that the thinking is is strong. Yeah, we hear about the the great wealth transfer that's taking place, yeah. 30 billion, 30 trillion. I, I lose track of the number. It's a very large number going from the baby boomers down to Gen X and really to millennials and even to Gen Zs. Are you seeing that? And, and how, how are you thinking about that? How are you advising around that wealth transfer? Yeah, it's, it's communication in the family. And, and we as advisors can help facilitate that because we uh, you know, obviously have our own families and our own conversations with our kids 
Um, and, you know, a lot of times estate planning, um, you know, you'll, if you talk to uh, enough estate planning attorneys and tax specialists and financial advisors, they'll see wealth, uh, these wealth structures and strategies being uh, a lot of times used in, in a control type situation, right? And, um, and it, it's, it's an interesting view to have conversations about what are the aspirations of our young people? You know, what, what, are, what are they thinking about their own life? And, um, and sometimes it's hard for mom and dad to, to, to get an answer to that. And that's where the outside parties can be very helpful. But, um, but think big, you know, thinking bigger about what, what do our young people want to accomplish? And where, would, where is that intersection between the wealth that we've worked so hard to create and smart tax strategies and, and estate strategies, and where does where is that intersection to do the most good out there? It, it, that's we're very passionate about that because of uh, of when this is done well, uh, charitable organizations uh, do well. So the the landscape, thanks to our friends uh, in Congress, these rules are always changing. I mean, mm -hmm. we. I know somebody asked a question about uh, the Secure Act, which we can address. You know, that's just recently changed. We know that the tax cuts from 2017 have a sunset in 2025. That's going to reset the wealth uh, caps on for estate planning purposes, state de death tax purposes. How can how do you have those conversations when these things are, are constantly changing? Particularly looking ahead, knowing in 2025 things very likely could could end up changing. Maybe they extend it. They'd probably get in there and tinker because that's what they like to do. Right. How do you make a long-term plan when, when we have, frankly, when we have fickle folks on Capitol Hill who are messing with stuff all the time? Yeah, so, so going back to what we were just talking about a minute ago, um, the long-term strategy has to have the, should have the family's aspirations and vision and all that at the center. And then that's the piece that gets enhanced over time, just as we as we grow and age as people. And then we have to be flexible to to be able to adapt to these you know to these issues that change. Congress uh, is going to do this, and you know the the estate tax. If you if you talk to estate planning attorneys, they'll tell you it's a rounding error in the federal <laughs> you know the federal budget estate plan estate tax, but income tax obviously no, and. Uh, and so all the changes with IRAs, uh, the the loss of the you know stretch, and those these these just change things, and we've got to adapt. And it, that's why it's, it's just got to be reviewed on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Are there any tools? I got one more question for you, kind of geared towards some of our nonprofit friends on the phone. But before mm -hmm. going back to some of the mechanics, are there any tools that we have not talked about here? And we've talked a lot about the charitable giving tools. But as someone's selling a business, maybe that's one silo or with some of these other things, uh, tools that are overlooked that you think people on the call should really know about as they're thinking about how do they prepare for some kind of wealth event? Yeah, there's, again, lots of tools. And, um, and if, we, if we put the direction of the, uh, of the family's strategy first and foremost above the line, then when we start talking below the line, that's when the tools come out and see which ones are relevant, which ones are not. And that's where a tremendous, you know, a good team is really important. And that's okay. why we rely on all of those partners that we have. So we have a number of folks from charitable organizations on the call. Any advice for them on the right way to either talk to their donors as wealth changes mm -hmm. or, and, and to do it in a non-tacky way, right? 
or uh, ways that nonprofits can work with people like you, people uh, who are kind of on the same side of the table? Yeah, so so those of us in the advisory community, if uh, you know, if charitable planning and giving means something to us personally, then you know we've got a very personal connection to it. Which in my case, uh, we do. My father was an entrepreneur, sold his company when he was fifty-eight or fifty-nine, um, and uh, you know, so there's things that matter to us, and we do this as a family. So so any any development directors that connect with advisors like us, uh, we, we connect at that personal level. And um, the more we know about your organization as we're out there, uh, you know, the better. And, and I think organizations have a tremendous opportunity to really share, share the vision for their organization. How does it intersect with, with advisors and their clients and also the donors themselves? Uh, you know, any, uh, there's lots of educational opportunities doing things like this. I, I think uh, I think nonprofits have a tremendous opportunity to really educate their donors, and a lot of them do. You know, a lot of them talk about the law changes and, and things like that. So, got got to keep doing that. It's important. Yeah. Just be part of the regular conversation. And yes, yeah, it's, to the development folks. It's it's providing value first, right? It's, it's this, it's this value exchange. Uh, there's the work that they do is at their core of their, uh, of their, uh, nonprofit, but this value exchange of giving information and, and building relationships out there is, is the key. And that's Great. what good development directors do. All right, Chris, we're going to come back to you in the Q and a, what I want to do now is bring up uh, donors Trust, CFO, COO, Jeffrey Zizek. Many of you on the call have had the opportunity to interact with Jeff. As you know, he is a, a tax planning attorney and an accountant and just has a plethora of knowledge and has, has been helpful to Donors Trust longer than anybody else on the team uh, and uh, is helpful to many of you in the past. So Jeff, I wanted to ask you if there was anything you heard there that stood out and particularly in the context of donor advised funds, Donors Trust, Anything you wanted to add or add color to around this idea of planning for a wealth event? I will just reemphasize some of what was already discussed. And I would say one of the biggest one is timing, um, especially when you're talking about a wealth event that involves the sale of something other than publicly traded stock. Uh, so often what happens is we have clients come to us and the charitable planning piece is sort of an afterthought. I don't know how many times when I was in private practice and now where the, the wealth advisors, the accounting firms especially, were brought in after the transaction had already been structured. And at that point, it's in many cases too late to achieve what you might have achieved, like complete elimination of capital gains. So that's a big one. The sooner you talk to your chair, the person who's going to help you with your charitable, the better off you are. The other thing you need to be ready for, and a lot of donors aren't, is complexity. Unfortunately, if it's not just giving away cash or if it's not just giving away marketable securities, it can be complex. And so you, you've got to be willing to work with your advisors and you've got to be willing to accept uh, the complexity that goes along with making gifts to donor advice funds or any charity. Um, so I would say those are a couple things you need to look out for. Uh, other thing, when you're thinking about giving to a donor advice fund, there are rules with donor advice funds that apply, even though a donor advice fund is a program of a publicly supported charity, 
there are certain rules that are applicable only to a gift to a donor advised fund that make that can make it difficult to give away certain assets such as closely held um, operating businesses so the sooner you involve your tax planner especially on the charitable side when you're getting ready to do something with assets like that the better because it can take some time to structure uh, the transaction in such a way that you can actually make a gift to a donor advice fund and then finally keep in mind that a charity itself is not a donor advice fund so occasionally you'll run into the issue where for example with the qualified uh, charitable distribution out of iras you get a lot of confusion there because while you cannot make that gift for the purpose of funding a donor advice fund that doesn't mean you can't make a gift to somebody like donors trust that has other types of programs that are not donor advice funds we have a number of programs besides donor advice funds uh, such as fiscal sponsorships um, some legacy giving type programs and you can give a gift directly out of a, uh, an ira and take advantage of that hundred thousand dollar deduction because you're not giving for the purpose of, of um, funding a donor advice fund. That's great. And, you know, to color that, why might somebody want to do that to a donor advised fund where they don't have a, when they can't put it in a donor advised fund is for the same reason they might do it to a charity they care about. They appreciate the mission. They understand its value. And, uh, and so, yeah, as, as Jeff said, we're always happy to accept those and be a partner in those. And, uh, and it is something to think about. All right. Uh, thank you, Jeff. That was really helpful. That was, that was a great addition and just reinforcing some of the great points that Chris had made. So keep you up, bring Chris back. Also bring Lawson Bader, our CEO, back on as well uh, so that we can go into some Q&A. We have some questions popping up here. And I know looking at the list of attendees, uh, there's not a lot of shrinking violets on there. So please uh, put your question in that Q&A box and, and let's, let's attack them, uh, whether that's about donor advised funds, wealth events, uh, anything in between, we are happy to ask it. And then one question that came up, uh, Chris, maybe you have some ideas and Jeff probably will too. Talk a little bit more about some of the, the gift, charitable gift annuity, charitable remainder trust. How do they get used in a wealth event, maybe particularly in, in kind of selling a business? Uh, sure. Yeah. They're, you know, again, just other tools that require a, a, a lot of lead time and a lot of uh, clarity on the on what the charitable strategy is. So charitable remainder trust, right? The, the family is gonna get an income stream from that, from making that donation. And, um, and then the remainder goes to the charitable organization. So uh, in some cases that makes sense, but um, gift annuities, you know, I don't, um, we don't see a, a ton of those, but, um, but you know, those are out there as well. Jeff, anything you want to add to that? Uh, you know, the, the whole the whole concept of the different tools that are available, as you know, Peter, and as some of the others on the call may have sat through before, we actually have a whole seminar talking about how you match up what your goals are, not just charitable, but your financial goals, your tax goals, and how you, you um, pick a good charitable tool to meet your charitable as well as goals. As uh, Chris mentioned, the Charitable Remainder Trust is great for somebody who wants to keep an income stream and not completely divest themselves of the asset. Um, in some cases, they're gonna work for you. In some cases, they're not. A one that's not used nearly as much as, as it should be is the Charitable Lead Trust. But again, we're talking about 
complexities that you've got to be willing to put up with. And, uh, you know, the charitable lead trust is usually used to avoid estate taxes, but there's actually some very good uses for the charitable lead trust to shift income out of your bucket of uh, assets that are uh, subject to income tax. And, and you set up another entity using charitable lead trust. So you have a whole nother, a whole nother rate schedule that you can, you can run. So it really comes down to sitting down with somebody who's well-versed in this stuff and that can match your charitable and financial goals up with the various, uh, the various tools that are available. And oftentimes it's a combination of tools because as far as we're concerned, the donor advised fund is the is the the, the best uh, ultimate donor when you're using something like a charitable lead trust or a charitable remainder trust. So here's a question I think all three of you will probably have some thoughts on because uh, the, the magic number here is a little controversial. At what level <laughs> of charitable assets does it really make sense to set up your own charitable foundation versus just direct giving versus a donor advised fund? Is it 5 million? Is it 10 million? Should you do it as a bequest? Uh, I think all three of you are going to come at it from different angles. Chris, why don't you start? And then I'd like to hear from the other two as well. Uh, yeah, typically, certainly larger, um, especially with the simplicity of the donor advised fund and how how effective that is as a, as a tool. Uh, so I guess maybe, you know, 10 million, I don't know. Uh, anywhere in that range. Jeff, what's your magic number? 10 million is a typical number to use to tell people. And I, but in all honesty, I would say it depends on the person. Uh, when I was in private practice, I had people who would set up a private foundation with virtually nothing um, because they wanted to use the private foundation and they would just fund it every year. And unlike a lot of private foundation um, managers or donors, they actually uh, had a, a payout ratio that was as high as donors trust, you know, it's 50, 80% of what goes in every year. And that person just really wanted a private foundation. So it partially depends on on what it is you want to do. Um, and and also, there's also the cost associated with it, because you, you have to file your tax return every year, you've got a, you've got a bunch of rules you got to worry about. If you're the type of person who who doesn't mind doing that on your own, and that's what I that's what I had in private practice occasionally, but Generally speaking, if it was somebody who was a traditional private foundation, I would say, yeah, five to 10 million before you'd want to do one. And I'd also go back to what Chris said. I would really have a, um, a, a detailed discussion with donors about the pros and cons of each one. And just be sure you understand the administrative responsibility you're getting into if you do the private foundation. Because as you know, Peter and Lawson could probably talk to this as well, it's amazing how many private foundation uh, founders come along a year or two later and say, you know what, that was a mistake. Can I please give all of my assets from the private foundation to donors trust? Well, Austin, you had a good article <laughs> in was Kiplinger uh, a while back, comparing and contrasting the donor advised fund to the private foundation. You probably have some thoughts here as well, maybe sure. less on the magic number and more just the why. Well, I'll be the very biased uh, partial uh, observer um, and say that um, uh, if you are a, a, a cheapskate, don't do a foundation at all. I don't care what the dollar amount is. You spend a lot of money on foundations. Uh, you don't with us and any other donor advice fund provider for that way. Um, yes, there are. there's plenty of conversations we can have on what's positive, what's negative. It really comes down to trade-offs and opportunity costs, among other things. If you really care about your intent, if you really care about, for example, privacy, 
there's no question that a, a donor advised fund will provide better options for that than a private foundation, even though the majority of people in this country, there are more foundations than there are donor advised funds. Although in the last four or five years, it's been a pretty significant uptick in the number of individuals of wide ranging, 25, 50 mm -hmm. million dollars and up mm -hmm. um, who are putting those into a DAF account rather than a private foundation. So it really does depend on your opportunity uh, and what you're trying to accomplish. But um, again, from a simplicity, among other things, um, a donor advised fund is going to provide a lot more options than a private foundation. But just like people who give money who want their name on a, on a wall of a university, sometimes they still want that name uh, in a foundation, which, by the way, you can still have when you have a donor advised fund. You have a name of an account. When you are recommending gifts, the provider can make available to the charity, the person or the entity that was making the recommendation. So some of that, um, I don't want to use narcissistic too too harsh, but that process can certainly be be played out as well. But um, yeah, no number is a good number. I would just uh, do a donor advised fund no matter what. But again, that's my uh, unbiased opinion. Jeff, you had something else to add there? Yeah, well, yeah. One thing that we haven't really talked about, but um, what you do see a lot of is. And this is the what I call the portfolio approach to charitable planning is a lot of donors have all of these. And so they may have their private foundation that they want to use for one thing. They have their donor advice fund that they want to use for another thing. They have a charitable remainder trust because they want some income flow. So it's not unusual to see uh, the client that implements both the donor advice fund and the private foundation. You know, that's a great point. And Chris, I'd love for you to kind of comment on that as well. Amongst the people you're working with, do you think that's true? Is it, Are you generally recommending kind of a portfolio approach of a number of different tools that people use when there is some kind of wealth sure. event? Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, it's driven by the strategy, right? The, the overall, what's the direction of this whole thing? What's what's the definition of success for the family? And and making sure the tools tools match what uh, how they define success. What is the, Chris, going back to some of your psychology here, what is the biggest mental block that people have as they're approaching selling a business or, or having some kind of wealth event that uh, maybe either maybe leads them down a path that's kind of suboptimal? Yeah, uh, you know the research that's out there, uh, the studies that have been done, owner, owner readiness is uh, not high. And um, uh, if the owner has founded that company, it's, uh, it's just very much this huge unknown, what, what's on the other side of this whole thing. And that's where charitable conversations are really empowering because uh, it's, you know, it's tying into their longer term view of them, themselves as a, as a person. And, um, you know, and, and so, so we, we, uh, we spend a great deal of time on this. It's why the behavioral neuroscience piece is so important. Um, and uh, more and more advisors are realizing this. The, the, the more time that you spend there, the better off the plan ends up being. And then you can pivot over time, but you're not massively changing direction because things were clearly, right? Clearly defined, clearly understood. Owners uh, are understanding their own thinking uh, about their future. Jeff, question for you from one of our great clients. Are there special issues related to a bequest gift, a gift from a will, if you're giving that into a donor advised fund? Not 
specifically other than there's certain things that if you do by bequest such as an uh, a operating business that it's it's easier probably if you're doing it by bequest but um there's nothing really specific on the, the bequest side with respect to a donor advised fund that's any different than other publicly supported charities only and thing i, I might that i can think add. of off the top of my mind i mean there's the the whole ira issue um the 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 hundred thousand dollars that goes away i mean you can leave a hundred percent of your ira to a donor advice fund um that has a successor donor advisor because unless you can figure out how to do it you're not going to be advising once that event happens but somebody else could so that would still be a donor advice fund so 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 that is a difference between the death the death time and and the uh during life with respect to gifts to donor advice funds Peter, I just jump in and say, yeah, one of the something that's perhaps different is, is not unique, but it's something to consider when somebody's putting a will together is rather than focus on specific dollar amounts, specific percentages going to specific charities, it's easier to simply leave a certain percentage to your donor advice fund account, even if that account is not funded yet. Um, and that is all that needs to transpire in the particularly testament document. And then you work separately with the donor advised fund provider to put together the list of what matters to you and what you'd like to do with it. And, and that list can change and should change uh, based on your own interests and over time. So you've only paid really for one legal change. And then the other changes and strategies can, can evolve uh, on your time and, and a significant less amount of money. And that's where, you know, using a DAF in that moment can be a useful uh, tool. Yeah, from a non-tax perspective, what Lawson's talking about is exactly right. And that's one of the, the when I said earlier, how we view the donor advice fund as sort of being a hub of your charitable giving. That's a big reason why we view it that way is because if you're implementing these other techniques like charitable remainder trust, charitable lead trust, you have your state to worry about. You can do what Lawson suggested, which is if you have the donor advice fund, it's much easier to make changes to your plan um without having to necessarily bring in accountants and attorneys it's just a conversation with you and your donor advice fund uh organization so we'll make this the the last question is it it's kind of come up a little bit is it possible i sell my business i i have a big inheritance or something or some kind of wealth event is it possible to get my tax liability all the way down to zero is that a cynical question um you know is that a, a thing that's even possible for estate planning, it's it's possible to eliminate the estate plan um, for income tax, except for uh, during the pandemic years where we had the special rule. Uh, effectively, no, because the limitations with respect to the amount of the deduction you can take in any particular year. We did have we did have the uh, the special rules that came into effect during the the pandemic, but those are gone. So, Chris, what about you? Can you get my my tax bill down to zero? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not strictly from charitable. You could do it with uh, perhaps yeah. with some NOLs and things like that, but you can't yeah. do it strictly with charitable. Yeah, exactly. I think that's an important point too, that there's all these different pieces, but it never, never necessarily goes down to zero, but you can minimize that by being smart and strategic about this. All right, well, the questions have tapered off and we're about up to our time. So we'll wrap up the Q&A. And what I want to do is give uh, a final word to Chris. Always like to give a last word to the speaker. So Chris, why don't you tell us a final thought to walk away with, and then I'll let Lawson wrap it up. 
yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit that same point again, which is, is really get clear on what the strategy is. What does it look like long term for you and your family? And, um, and, and what does all this mean to you? How do you define success? And, uh, and then surround yourself with advisors that understand the tools and put these, these things in place to, uh, to pivot and make sure this, this works long term for you. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jeff, for your comments. Thank you, Peter, for hosting. We have lots to think about, lots to do. Timing of which is sort of in your court. Um, we are here to help as best we can. So pick up the phone, drop us an email. Let's find ways of working together, especially when it comes to your charitable opportunities, your strategies, uh, and your legacies. So with that, uh, everybody have a pleasant afternoon, morning, or evening. Thank you. I hope that was helpful for you. Were there questions that didn't come up you wish you had been able to ask? Well, email me at tellmemore at donorstrust.org and I will work to get an answer for you. Or email me and just let me know what you thought of that conversation or about any past episode. I would love to hear from you. Perhaps most importantly, if you want to explore how a donor advised fund with Donors Trust can help you with your charitable efforts, we would welcome the chance to chat. It's what we're here for, so reach out. We have some great episodes coming your way. I can't wait to share them with you. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of them. And until next time, thank you for being a giver. Let's talk more soon. Thank you.